Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first Ship Talking episode of 2021. I'm Brandon, and I'm so excited to ring in the new year with our first episode, of course, alongside my best friend, Robbie. Robbie, Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Brandon. I'm so happy we got renewed for season two. We didn't get canceled. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing great. Had a wonderful uh, New Year's and Christmas. I'm so happy that uh, 2020 is over and did not keep going yeah um, how about you how was your uh christmas and new year it was good actually right at midnight i played that scene from voyager where janeway is like time's up and i tried to put uh 2020 in the past because that year was the year of hell but you know what 2021 i think it's going to be really great i'm really looking forward and you're right season two i guess we'll call this mm-hmm. of the pod yeah. so super exciting you know what i want to know though did you make any trek related new year resolutions you know i I did not. I think to make my New Year's resolution a little bit more apropos for Trek, I would say that I'm definitely trying to get into a better fitting command uniform by Labor Day. So I think that's my New Year's resolution. Cool, cool. So what have you been up to? You know, I've been having so much fun just taking some time off of work, relaxing. You know, uh, I have to say, though, I have been having so much fun with this whole uh, battle between Gen Z and millennials, what's been going on. I mean, I can't believe just how mean these Gen Zers are against us. You know, <laughs> I'm like, why are you criticizing us for our avocado toast? And I don't know. Do you think Star Trek is ever going to like maybe kind of delve into a little bit of uh, uh, the generations in a, in a future show? Uh, yeah, I, I think we're starting to see that actually with Discovery bringing on some of the younger cast. Um, with Adira and Gray. So I, I, I think that, that might be, I mean, we've got seven series. <laughs> Let me just say that again. We have got seven different Star Trek series coming out throughout this year. So you know what? I think that anything is possible. So I'm thinking avocado toast in space could be on the replicator menu. <laughs> I would order it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, seven series. And if you can believe it or not, with the most recent episode of Discovery, Star Trek has now had 800 adventures. And when we say adventures, we mean TV episodes as well as movies that have come out since the original series that premiered with the cave. So 800 strong, looking forward to the next 800. Well, speaking of adventures, I have to say I had so much fun listening to our bonus slash supplemental episode that we put together for the last part of 2020. And I have to say that song that George did at the end, (laughs) I mean, watch out um, Vic Fontaine because you might have a big competitor in the works. It was so good. And you know what? I think it's going to have to come back and make a return every holiday season going forward. Because you know what? Santa's got a spore drive. And I love the joke at the very beginning. I'm also thinking that we might have to have um, a live performance of George. You know, and we can be backup dancers. We can be, <laughs> you know, like supporting him on that. So Yeah, we have got some requests for live shows. So again, never say never. All right. Well... On this week's episode, we're going to spend some time in the shipyards with the one and only Ben Robinson. Not only does he manage the Star Trek ship's model collection at Eagle Moss and Hero Collector, but he is also the author of many Trek publications, including Starship Documentation. The collection really has come a long way since that first ship back in 2013, which was the Enterprise D. So I'm excited to chat with him to see how he brings the ships we love into model form. The chat with Ben during the episode is going to be 14 minutes long, and our monthly patrons that have subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher will have access to the full expanded chat 
that. That's runtime is around 46 minutes. Well, before we chat with him, we're going to review your submissions for this week's Community Cube and share a new one. Then, after the chat with Ben, we'll dive into the All Hands on Deck Drill segment and announce our special guest for the next episode. I think this is going to be really fun. I'm glad we're kicking off the new year with Ben. So let's jump right into things and move into this week's Community Q segment. For this week's Community Q, we asked you all to let us know what you would name your ship if you got to choose and why. We had a ton of submissions come through, and instead of going through every single ship name, what I thought we would do is go through what the themes were. So the most submitted ship names were actually names of cities, and a lot of those were mentioned to be where the individual was born, or where they currently lived in, or major cities that was nearby them. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, Brandon. I think that the shows have had a variety of names for famous places. You know, DS9 had the rivers, uh, you know, different cities cities. And I like that idea. I think it makes a lot of sense. I definitely would love to be in the USS San Diego if possible. (laughs) Yeah. And I have got my hometown as well as a ship that I fly in Star Trek online. Other ship names that were submitted most frequently included names of influential people from history, for instance, scientists or authors, as well as other famous ships from history that we saw in different battles. I definitely think that this parallels what happens in real life. And for example, one of a well-known ship was the USS Abe Lincoln, and that was for the US military. Of course, I have to say, I love the nickname for the Abe Lincoln, which was the uh, USS Stinkin' Lincoln. So maybe <laughs> we could do a little uh, like nicknames even for Star Trek shows, something on the future. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did see a few that I knew were going to come in that said that they named their ship the Lollipop. And of course, that's based after the famous lyrics from the 1934 Shirley Temple song. Well, I'm surprised that nobody submitted the My Milkshake. Just I could have seen that as like a really good name for a ship. But, you know, the USS My Milkshake mm-hmm. because it brings all the boys to the shipyard. I don't know. <laughs> too far. Too far. I don't know. <laughs> no. Well, uh, what flight? Well, <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, James is going to be in overdrive cleaning up this mess. No pun intended. But for the next Community queue, we want to know what is one ship feature that you know exists but has never been seen on screen and you would love to see it on screen. I'm looking forward to seeing the response for this. I know we're going to get a few about Cetacean Ops because we've heard about it. I'd love to see what that looks like on screen. But you know what? Getting ahead of myself, you can send us your answers via email, website form submission, or even via Twitter, and we're going to review them on next week's episode. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone's responses. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and head over to the shipyards and meet Ben for a bit of ship talking. Let's do it. hardest part is actually working out the paint scheme because even when you have the perfect reference the way a ship looks in its natural form as it were isn't exactly the same way it looks on screen that sort of interaction with light is quite a big deal and also you know there are all sorts of technical reasons why the guys making the shows would alter the color or more accurately why the model would be brighter colors than what you end up with at the end of the day 
you know, we do our sort of due diligence and our research and make sure that we've been through the shows uh, to make sure that the model we've got actually matches where it ended up looking on screen. Uh, so that's those are the easy ones. I say the easy ones. It's a little bit harder these days because on Discovery on Picard, I'm sure it'll be true on Strange New Worlds as well. They use these really complicated render engines mm-hmm. that can choose what resolution to render it in depending on where it is in the shot and how much of it you see and so on. So for us, we have to resample all the textures and reapply them in order to make it work for our purposes. And that's a bit of a, a laborious process. And then there's another kind of category of ship, which is something that was only ever a physical model, mm-hmm. where we have a couple of modelers who rebuild stuff for us. And that can be varying degrees of tricky. Sometimes we have very good photographic reference. Sometimes we have very little. Quite often we know that it's a ship that was adapted to become something else. Those famous kit bashes. Yeah, well, not even that. I mean, sometimes what they would do, so Greg Jane, who did a lot of the modeling, one of the cheapest ways or the you know affordable ways he could make ships was to use the same molds to make parts of different ships. Oh, right, yeah. So people often talk about, like, this ship was adapted to become this ship. It doesn't necessarily mean that they physically took the ship and then mm-hmm. stuck some extra bits on it. But Greg would quite often use the same molds to, to make parts for another ship. So those are two of the countries. And then the third category is where we're doing concept ships that right. were never actually made. And with those, we're quite often talking to the original concept artists. And that actually, while it's great, and I think it's it's you know it's important to me that we do talk to those guys, that can slow things down quite a lot because those guys are uh, busy working artists normally. Well, Brandon took me to my first Star Trek convention in, in Las Vegas several years mm-hmm. ago, and he actually got me a Defiant model. It was about maybe like seven inches wide long. And when I got this ship from Brandon, I was like, oh my God, right? Like this has a different look. This has such a different feel than the Defiant on the show. But it really still had like that heartfelt feeling that I had for that ship. And so I could see what you're talking about because if it was a letdown, like if, if that model did not live up to what I was looking for, it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have had that same connection, but it does, even though it, it has a totally different look. And the defiance complicated as well because the what people tend to forget is when they built the CG version of ships on the show, mm-hmm. they're often a little different to the physical practical models they had at the beginning. So there are two very different models of the Defiant that get used oh, in the show. Okay. Sometimes even within one episode, you'll get one shot of one and one of the other. And that makes it interesting for you guys too, because it's like, okay, you have the opportunity to put out the Defiant that everyone knows and loves, but you also have an opportunity to go further with it. Like you talked about this concept art. You can put out models of these ships that we haven't seen on screen or maybe haven't seen finished designs for, and you can flesh those out and work with those artists and really make them come to life. Speaking of the Defiant itself, something we never saw on screen was the the, let's call it the nose of the Defiant could be used as a warhead. It could detach. So you could, of course, put out a model of the Defiant. You could put out the other variant looks. But then you could also, what you've done for some things like the Captain's Yacht and other small vessels, is you could put out a whole issue just on the nose itself that talks about that and that it's a model of that and what it looks like detached from it. Or maybe it actually comes apart. So what's cool is you get to play in this playground of sorts with so many different varieties. You don't have to just stick to what we saw on screen. You will, of course, because you know those are probably the models that sells everyone loves the hero ships and everyone loves to have that ship that looks as close to what they saw as possible but you can go that step further and be like well here's what you know voyager could have looked like here's what in the original concepts and you get to hold that in your hand and that's something that i think that's really cool that we haven't seen anyone else do or at least not do as well or as more recognized as hero collector and what you've done um 
So getting to play in that kind of playground must be really exciting for yourself. I love it. And I think the, the guys who designed the ships love it, actually. Because quite often, man, they might not have chosen exactly the version that ended up on screen. Sure. You know, they're, they're only part of the process. So, I mean, at the moment, we're doing a Defiant concept. So back when it was the USS Valiant, mm, right. yep. uh, we're doing, you know, one of the most familiar concepts. Right, yeah. But yeah, Jim Martin, who designed the ship, was like really, really pleased that we were doing that. Uh, was really quite excited. And that's great. You know, when the designers are like, oh, wow, you made a model of this. This is so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. We, we've we had Rick Sternbach. Actually, he was on our first episode and we were talking about his original designs for Voyager. And I loved when you guys put out the model. That was really cool to see that. And also you have these other powerhouse studios kind of like star trek online putting out different variants of the ships and i know you guys have a star trek online line of ships as well which is really really cool to see and they've got different versions of the defiance so you know i know that the official subscription is, is finished at you know 180 ships i think it was and you've got all these different lines now coming out but like i, I can't see really an end to ships ever you know the amount of ships of the different style of ships an end to them because there's endless amounts of ships and designs and concepts and then you know we have new shows coming so you're gonna have all the ships from there um especially with discovery i think you're gonna have your hands full coming to figure out how to actually get those detached nacelles like whether you use something clear you know to hold the nacelles to them or maybe they're on their own stand uh that must be an interesting problem to figure out yeah i mean we've got all of the discovery season three models all in one go Mm. just before uh, about two or three weeks before the premiere okay. and we're like the going oh that's cool that's interesting that's challenging <laughs> so yeah we've been working on it a little bit I mean we're just about to get the first prototype and the idea is that we will use some kind of transparent material between them but there are still challenges technically it's a fun problem to have though right <laughs> I hope so it'll be a fun <laughs> problem if we work out how to do it if the solutions uh, all work out nicely then it'll be fun yeah if they uh, prove too challenging then we might have some regret. And one of the things with kind of piggybacking off that is that the fans in Star Trek have this emotional attachment a lot of times to the mm. different shows, to the different ships, excuse me. Mm. And we've seen that with Discovery, with the Enterprise and different books and covers. And, you know, a lot of times what will happen is somebody will reimagine how a ship looks, but and it'll look different than it mm. looked in the past. And, and so what are your thoughts on as time goes on and with the, particular model but the design of it evolves or it changes and it's the same ship but just with modern technology it changes the nuances or there might be big differences like what do you think about that when that happens so like the big refit i mean discovery for example Mm -hmm. i mean the it's interesting i mean when the the vfx guys in particular are working with a ship they learn its strengths and its limitations so it's changed a bit now because the designers work in 3D. But as people work with the model and they see it from different angles, they start to think, oh, I wish that were a little bit right. thinner or that angle's not quite what it could be. And I think that's true for almost every ship. You know, so I, from that point of view, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the extraordinary things about the design of the Enterprise is how simple and flexible it is. You know, because when I've talked to all these guys at Sinai and it's like, okay, design me a new Starfleet chair. Right. 
and it's like okay it's what what makes it a starfleet ship okay it's got two nissars or maybe it's got four <laughs> um, you know, it's got a saucer it's right. got a secondary hull or maybe it doesn't have a secondary hull you know right and you see people going through all those kind of iterations and it is kind of amazing how many different designs you can get from those really simple rules it's extraordinary and one of the things that's really cool is you get to see these different iterations and a lot of the times everyone who's buying the hero collector ships actually get to see them as well in the documentation and the accompanying mm. magazine that comes with each model and the amount of research that it must take to actually get everything prepared to go into this magazine because every single ship comes with them and now you're you know well over 200 ships probably with all the new series going to be over 300 in the not too distant future but the amount of time writing and researching that goes into that just must be insane. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, insanity seems normal to me. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's a really good thing for all sorts of reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I am personally fascinated by how things came to be and how they could have been different. Mm-hmm. But it's also those kind of interviews that give you insight into the way things are and why they're the way they are. Mm-hmm. So if you take um, the best example I've come across for this is the Jem'Hadar bug, the, the Jem'Hadar fighter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. When okay. you see that model, it's purple. Right. You know, it's, it's like purple and blue. And if you were just a toy manufacturer coming and making one, you would look at that reference and make it purple and blue. But when you see it on screen, it's kind of silver, I guess. Bluish, yeah. Purple yeah. And Little yeah. hints of purple and blue if you yeah. knew yeah. that the model was purple and blue. Right. But I don't know that many people watching, particularly at uh, Standard Def, would know that it wasn't just silver. And when I talked to Gary Hartzell about it, he was saying, oh, yeah, but it, it was easier to composite it uh, when you have the stronger colour. It's easier to pull a mat, it's easier to do things. And then you, you they would dial down the colour when they were doing the compositing to achieve the end result they wanted. Another one is the Aztec pan. Mm-hmm. where, you know, Matt Jeffries was always insistent that ships should be smooth on the outside. So, you know, why would you put anything you needed to get access to on the outside of a spaceship? You don't want to go outside. Yeah, You want to stay inside. So the outside's going to be smooth like a battleship. And that was one thing in 1966, you know, or 65, when uh, the visual effects were pretty simple. But when it came to making Star Trek the motion picture and you're suddenly talking about, a, you know, a massive model that gets seen in incredible detail, that smoothness became a bit of a problem. And that's when they came up with the idea of having an Aztec pattern so that it is smooth, but it's got these subtle variations in in colour. And trying to explain that to the factory, they kept saying, but you won't be able to see it. I was like, that's fine. Don't worry about it. That's how it's meant to be. Uh, You guys have just come out recently with a a special edition of models. Uh, Specifically, the regular one came out. Mm. Um, And it was really cool to dive into that. Because, of course, we saw it up on screen. You know, we knew it was Dr. Carol Marcus was there. They were working on the Genesis device. But you guys have put out this model. And it's actually really cool to see because it's it's one of those, it's like, oh, I would have never actually thought to buy this model and to celebrate the motion picture in that way. But you guys have put so much care and attention and detail into this for those fans who do love it. And I actually got a chance to work with your good colleague, Melissa, who sent it over. And just looking at the detail of it in the magazine, you've really helped bring it more to life than just this space station that we saw, you know, in the background and, you know, mostly saw interiors of. Um, but I think that's a Something also that's special about Hero Collector that you're able to do is bring these into our homes and, and give us more light about them. That model started off as the orbital office complex in space uh, dock yeah. in motion. Flipped picture. upside down, right? Yeah, it flipped upside down in a few bits. 
taken off, which is, I mean, one of the reasons we chose to do the regular one version is just because the other bits would have made it such a massive model. Yeah. It wouldn't have fitted in the box. But the amount of effort and attention to detail and artistry that went into the models they made for Star Trek motion pictures, it beggars belief. And it's partially because they know it's going to be seen 70 feet across on this massive screen. So every little detail should stand up. Mm. But it's also because it was like this moment of spectacular ambition that I think has rarely been equaled in Star Trek. Well, Ben, we know you've got a lot of ship schematics to dive back into. And before you go, we've got five rapid fire questions for you. Robbie's going to read the question out loud. And we want to know the very first answer that comes to mind. Does that sound all right? Uh, Yeah, it could be dangerous, but let's go again. All right. Okay, Ben, what is your favorite ship of all time? Uh, The Enterprise. The original Matt Jeffries version, maybe the Redux John Eves version or the TMP one. They're all the same ship. What is your favorite series? Uh, Original series, still. Now, this can be a little controversial, but who is your favorite captain? Depends on the day of the week. Um, probably Picard. Okay. As an Englishman, I'm now a little older than Patrick was when he started in the series. So, yeah, it's the one I would find easiest to identify with. Do you think he should have actually been English in the show, or do you like the fact that he was French? Are we just taking day? over the south of France? That's what's going to happen. Is okay. that the English would just be like, oh, it's nice here. We'll just take it over. Okay. Okay. Well, George and James are probably going to love that answer, too. So, if you could choose to go into command, science, or engineering, which of those three fields would you be in? Ah, uh, command said arrogantly but i run a team of people so i kind of feel like i better go into command fair enough fair enough okay so in the ds9 episode in the pale moonlight cisco fabricates evidence that the dominion was planning to invade the romulan empire his actions included murder assassination and much more dark aspects this action brought the romulans into the war and arguably turned the tide of the war do you agree with his actions or not um yes i do um, because the greater good was served. Um, you know, that episode is based on the idea that FDR knew that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. Right, right. You know, what would have happened if Pearl Harbor hadn't happened, uh, mm-hmm. if America hadn't entered the war? But also, you know, it's Romulans. They're sneaky. It's playing by Romulan rules. <laughs> well, Ben, thanks again for joining us. It was really great catching up. And now, Robbie and I are going to move into this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, we put everyone in a command position and asked, if you were the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council and thus leader of the Klingon Empire for a day, what tasks would you first give your fleets and which Klingon ships would be involved? This one was really cool. I personally love the Klingon race and I love their ship designs. So I'm going to break this down into two different areas. For the most mentioned ships, we had the Bird of Prey, the Negvar, the Vorcha, and the Katingas. Well, first of all, as far as from a ship design perspective, I love these particular ships that we use. They are not only iconic, but the design, the detail in them, the sheer firepower, the strength of these ships, awesome, great. And I definitely think that, you know, the Chancellor has a lot of firepower and an ability to do things with these ships. 
Yeah. And speaking of what the Chancellor would be doing with these ships, the most frequently submitted ideas for what they would actually be doing if they were in command for a day was continuing peace talks with the Federation. Mm. Kind of surprising because that was the most frequently mentioned one. You'd think a lot of people want to get behind these ships and go wreak some devastation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Removing the Tribble resurgence. uh, Invade Earth or take over the Federation. There's that, what I was expecting Mm -hmm. to be a bit higher. Mm -hmm. And another frequently submitted task was drinking a a lot of blood wine. Well, first of all, I have to say, I love the idea that our listeners and in our community think the most thing that they would love to do is continue peace talks with the Federation. <laughs> I, I feel like we have a really wonderful, loving community. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, though. I don't think that the Chancellor would do that, but I definitely think that invading Earth or taking over the Federation would be a lot of fun. I also think that maybe they didn't make that list was possibly a lot of quests for honor or a Mm -hmm. lot of skirmishes. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I would as well. And actually, I really think that we should spend more time this year speaking about Klingon ships and other alien races. I think we know a lot about Federation ships, but we should dive into the design aspects and also the context behind some of these ships. Stay tuned, and thanks for everyone participating in this week's drill. Of course, if you want to participate in our weekly drills, we announce them on Twitter towards the end of each week, so do keep an eye out. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Before we share our plugs and warp out, we want to announce our next special guest. Next week, we're going to be welcoming New York Times bestselling author James Swallow to the show. He's written many novels that feature ships of the Star Trek franchise, including some from the Titan series. And his latest, which is called The Dark Veil, was actually just published. It features Riker, Troy, and the Titan, and is set in the Picard era. Well, as someone who read the Titan series obsessively and couldn't put the books down, I'm super excited. You are all in for a treat. I'm really looking forward to it. Alongside James, we're going to welcome special guest host Jack Curtis, who authors short stories that are set in the Trek universe and are specifically about the ships themselves. Ooh, so maybe we could have Jack and James do a little literary riff-off, a little book battle royale. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, check out our awesome merch. Wear our logo, send us our photos out and about sporting it. And while you're on the website, click on the link at the top to our Patreon and view the special benefits that we're providing to our patrons, including expanded chats with all of our guests. You can send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We love hearing from all of you. Unless it's making fun of millennials, then we won't. (laughs) Unless it's really funny, then of course we're going to have to. (laughs) You can also send those to us on Twitter. We're at ShipTalkingPod. We do love hearing from you and replying back. It's where James's playground is, and he loves chatting with you each week. And he posts up awesome ship facts that... I'm even learning about for the first time. You can also use Twitter to participate in our all hands on deck drills. And as always, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie or Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all of the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get the direct links from there. Of course, a very special thank you to our audio engineer, George Davies, and our community manager, James Amy. We couldn't make ship happen for the show without them. Yes, thank you so much, George and James. We really do appreciate all the behind the scenes special ops work that you do. And of course, thank you to our amazing listeners and community for helping to make this so much fun. Stay safe and well, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Stay frosty.
my milkshake. Brings all the boys to the shipyard. Too far? No. Well, uh, what flavor? Well.